Lord's blessing. Dear Lord, we're grateful, glad to have each other in our lives because of your Son and the forgiveness we have in him. We'd ask that we would not just rejoice in each other, but that we rejoice in you and the lives you give us. In your Son's name, amen. Um, I'm in a very popular passage. Very, very popular. It was one of those popular passages. I was in it four years ago. I preached through Galatians uh, sequentially. Handled it a little bit differently than we're handling it this morning. Been in some conversations with my father about some of these lists, like the work of the flesh that come in later on in Galatians 5. He's wanting to approach the saints about these different lists of behavior. But the wonderful thing about Galatians 5, and I, it's not just at the end of it you get the fruit of the Spirit list and you get to, get to feel kind of devout and devotional and pious and just listening to those words. Um, you, are, uh, you are actually given an argument prior to it of what's going on with the Christian life regarding goodness. Because ever since the beginning of the faith, we've made mistakes about how to try to encourage goodness in our children, in our fellow parishioners, in the, in the culture at large. And the argument in Galatians is one that you would do well to remind yourself of every seven or eight minutes. You know, so just read through the book every seven or eight minutes, and that should do it. Uh, it's a short book, so it's not a problem. But Paul had been trying to save the Galatians, and this is where I wish I had some tech, so we're not as artisanal as a church, that a projector would project a map of Asia Minor up there that I could get a little red pointer and point out Galatia, and you would be edified. But I don't have any of these things, so artisanal it is. But if we have, if we have a task in what we're about in Christ, what you thought you were dealing with when you um, got saved, you felt the conviction of sin, you said, I don't want to be this way. I'm guilty of sin, and I'm not able to live the way I want to live. Um, that's what Christianity is about. Forgiveness of sins, life eternal. And as my father often puts it, you know, it's like having a bath of the inside when you get saved. It, it, you bathe on the outside, you know, after you've worked in the muck of the mire, and you get to scrub all the big chunks off, and how good you feel to sit clean. And when you get forgiven for your sins, there's a great sense of comfort and peace and cleanliness that you feel, that you didn't feel before, that God just took and hung on Christ on the cross. It's a freedom. It's for freedom. Verse 1, chapter 5 of Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, sometimes you'll, you'll take those sort of that's not an unclear comment, but it, it's odd when you think about what it means. That we were set free to be free. Okay? 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Now, this is where the struggle in Galatians becomes the struggle down through all of Christian history. What did I want from Christ? I wanted holiness. I I wanted to be done with evil. I wanted to be done with sin. Um, Daniel gave me a copy of uh, uh, the uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde book by Robert Louis Stevenson. And so I I hadn't read it since high school, I think. And so I reread it. And it was a really engaging discussion of a man's struggle with his own wickedness. That's basically what it's about. How does he separate the wicked part of himself from the not wicked part of himself and he does it chemically but it has very big moral implications as a story and we know that that's what we face when we came to Christ it wasn't to fit in with our family it wasn't to because all the cool kids at the university were Christians that wasn't the case You came to Christ, if you came to Christ actually, you came to Christ for forgiveness of sins. It's Christ's death on the cross for sin that is the centerpiece of this religion. But as soon as we become Christians, after that initial, you know, bath on the inside thrill, you find that you're your language has straightened out and a lot of your attitudes people, what happened to you? Well, I got saved. Temptations to sin are sure to come. And we very quickly, one of the reasons we get together as a body of believers is to get encouragement and teaching how to stay away from sin because we have that facing us till we die. We need to be reminded that you were set free by Jesus Christ so that you may be free. And then he says, stand fast, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, what is natural for us to think is that, Paul, we are set free from sin. Yes, we were. But that's not what he's talking about. You know how when you were a Unbeliever, you swore like a sailor. You sometimes joined the Navy just to make it convenient. You were sexually immoral. You were a drunk. Maybe you tried meth just once. And sometimes when you think of, oh, we became Christians, let us not submit again to a yoke of slavery, we naturally go, oh yeah, I don't want to get trapped by the addictive nature of sin. Well, yeah, I agree, that's a good thing. Let's not do that. But that's not what he's talking about. Now I, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Hold it. What? He's not talking about the same thing I'm thinking about. What's he talking about? Pious, piety in the church, and I, you know, we want to be pro-piety, but that which becomes piety, that which the culture of Christianity defines as piety, is a path that violated the book of Galatians, front to back, top to bottom. And it will take, Paul says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It will take Christ. 
Christ from you. Here you are, you've become one of Christ. Now, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, so we're not suggesting that. You might believe you can. God bless you, but, you know, those are not really the questions here. The advantage to you that Christ is, your conversion doesn't turn out with that advantage if you go through this motion, they go through this movement. Do what Paul tells you not to do. If you receive circumcision, now, do you really think, there are some people in this country, and I don't mean to be a church with too much information, but some people are very anti-circumcision, some people are very pro-circumcision. I don't care, I don't think that's the issue right now. Circumcision is the emblem of being a Jew. It is the symbol of you belonging to the elect people of God. That's why they were getting circumcised. I testify again, verse 3, to every man who receives circumcision that he is bound to keep the whole law. So we're not really actually talking about circumcision. We're talking about making a move that you suggest to yourself or your pastor suggests to you that you need to do it this way because that's the rule. As soon as you say you have to do it because that's the rule, you know a couple things. You didn't make the rule, right? And if the rule is obligatory to you and you didn't make it, that means whoever did make it, whatever rules they make, are obligatory because that's what makes them obligatory is the governance, the power, the authority of the person who made the rule. Now up to that point some of you are going, preach it brother that's what, that's what we want to do preach the Ten Commandments to us now I'm not going that direction neither is Paul if once you pick up this notion that your godliness is from you submitting yourself to the law, Christ is of no advantage to you. Means that, and not only is Christ no advantage, you have just admitted that all of it is required of you. All of it. If that has authority, all of it has authority. And listen to the language. Not only is Christ of no advantage to you, verse 4, you are severed from Christ. Now, this is sort of a vivid way of describing it for Paul because he's talking about circumcision. He is saying, you get yourself cut, you're cut off from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Now again, I don't think we're talking about losing your salvation. Nor are we talking, as a lot of people say we are in Galatians, about salvation by faith alone, by grace through faith alone. We're not talking about salvation. We're writing a book to a group of Christians in Galatia. They're already saved. He is saying, you will not be justified. The word justified just means made righteous. You will not be, you who would be made righteous, verse 4, by the law, you have fallen away from grace. So when we stepped into Christianity by this wonderful forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and then we found ourselves tempted, falling. We have a couple of things that we've got to do. Okay, we learn about confession of sin. We learn how to get right with God. But still, what about, what about doing the good thing? 
How do I get there? And so you go to church, you say, Pastor, what should I do to stay good? I don't want to sin and get forgiven, sin and get forgiven. And he says, oh, I have a little sheet of paper with a list. It's printed front and back. Small type of the stuff you need to do. And it could be everything from the Bible. It could be everything that Christianity has added. You know, quiet time, church attendance, singing loudly during the hymn. You who would be justified by the law, you who want to be made righteous by the rules, you missed it. Not only did you miss it, it's it's just the middle finger to Jesus. It's just saying, I don't like the way Christianity actually works. And we we people, churches, conservative, believing, Bible-preaching churches all over the country who on this point can't read through Galatians without acting like a liberal. You know how the liberals are. Well, I don't think I don't think Paul's remarks about homosexuality should be taken. I mean, it's obviously an ancient blah 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 blah. And, and all the conservatives go, "Oh, how can you do that?" There it says right in Romans that it's wrong. Get him to get the conservative Galatians, and man, he is all over this. Oh, this is really not you know what they're talking about here. You cannot think of Christianity. You may not think of Christ as a law-abiding religion. I'm sorry. You're severed from him if you do. You are cut off. You have no advantage in him. What's the point of Jesus Christ if you're going to live your life by the law? Now, in verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we await for the hope of righteousness. If you think you're going to be made righteous by the law, you've fallen away from grace, the flip side of that coin is, through the Spirit, by faith, we await the hope of righteousness. That means righteousness is out out there. You're supposed to still be righteous. This is not, you're not, people call me an antinomian. That means against the law. Nomos is law, anti, of course, you know, anti. Because most people who are antinomian want to have excuses to do anything they want. Right? They're licentious. But you're going to see how this doesn't work either. Because God in his holiness is still waiting for us in his holiness to be in his holiness with him. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. So, we await for the hope of righteousness by the Spirit, by faith through the Spirit. Now, it doesn't, that doesn't tell you much about how that's done. I know, I, I know that. We don't want to give away all the, the juicy parts that you'll stay awake to the end of the sermon. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith working through love. Man, the, the, this chapter is one of the richest chapters about Christianity in the Bible. If you lost everything, rip this page out. Keep it. Hide it in your underwear if they put you in prison. Keep this chapter. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is of any avail. Now, I want to point something out to you about that. Because this is what the people who are anti-the law sometimes do. When you discover the scriptures are against 
something, you think that the opposite of it, the anti of it, is the thing that is then you're privileged to do. Right? The Bible doesn't say anything about, well, say the Bible, in the Old Testament, I think there is something about tattoos. I assume there are probably some tattoos in this room. I just assume it. You say, you mean the Bible says I can't have a tattoo? Oh, we're not under the law. Okay, cool, good. There's no New Testament things about tattoos? No. Set free from the law. I don't have to think about not getting a tattoo. In fact, that almost means I must go get a tattoo. We do, he says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Because when you start to think in law terms, and then you think that, then you think that there's a, um, a removal of the one, you think you're forced into the other camp. A licentious or a liberty plus, you know, I, I get to do whatever I want to do. And what I want to do is defined not by Christianity, but by your lust that you already had. You, we didn't realize that those laws were there to stop you from being what you are, right? So as soon as they get out of the way, you start being what you are. But something else is at work. What Paul's saying, righteousness is still expected. What is at work in you to make it? Not the law and not the opposite of the law. Freedom in itself that is not by the Spirit setting you free, right? Christ has set us free for freedom, but it's through, by faith through the Spirit. By love, right? But faith working through love at the end of verse 6. You will get to righteousness only through love working through faith by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to, if you want to be some rod up your butt type of Christian who looks like they're good, you're going to have to have a very specific set of rules that you get everybody else to agree with. This is not what Christian, oh, matter of fact, the next verse. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So when someone suggests to you that we need to revisit the law of God for guidance to our righteousness, shove them down a flight of stairs if one's available. This is not Christianity. Who hindered? This is called a hindrance to obedience. People think that the introduction of the law is a, uh, the next step forward. Greater righteousness. Show yourself approved. This is hindering you from obeying the truth. This persuasion is not from God. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says, don't even let a little bit in. Okay, we have the Ten Commandments, just the Ten? I'm sorry. God has set us free from the law with his commandments and ordinances. That's what he says in Ephesians. He abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances. Same thing the writer of Hebrews. This is the teaching of Christianity. This is not some wacky 
North Idaho sect. This is what Christianity is. It's been on the page of Galatians 5 since it was written. And Paul is going, how did you guys get into this place where you thought, as Gentile Christians, that keeping the law was going to be an addition and a good in your life? You have severed yourself from Christ. He is of no advantage to you. This persuasion isn't godly. Is not from him who calls you. Remember that verse. I know we don't talk like this. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. Got to sort of think about that. It's a lot of spin on it. You know, okay, I am not persuaded. This is not something I should incline to as if God wanted me to go there. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. Paul doesn't get this... Now, Galatians was probably one of the first books written, New Testament, pretty early. But Paul leans into this point, and does it on a few points in his, on the resurrection and a few others. He says, don't think any other way than the way I think on this. I am persuaded you will take no other view. And, not only that, not only take my view, but I trust anybody who teaches otherwise is going to catch it in the shorts from God. That he, that he who is troubling you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Now, one thing you have to remember is we have lived through 2,000 years of Christianity. We have seen countless, countless, countless failings of Christians. Now, God is wonderfully merciful. He will forgive us so we confess our sins. But if we want to live righteously, we've got to stop designing Christianity like it were some other religion than Christianity. How did Christ tell us to be holy? How did the apostles tell us to be holy? We need to be holy. We don't get to just say, if it's not circumcision, it gets to be non-circumcision. And we start treating not doing it like some treat doing it. We'd start treating being against the law and the activity that proves we're against the law just proving that we're against any kind of holiness. Jesus Christ, God himself, still has imperatives the way he wants you to be. The question is, how do we get there? How do we get to where he, he wants us to be? But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. It's one of those, you want a precious moment drawing of that one. <laughs> Little patch on the pants. Cutting themselves up. Because he's talking about castrating themselves. He's talking about them cutting. This is about cutting your manhood off or parts of it. Circumcision, severed, mutilate themselves. If you want to be all uptight about the law, just, just, just cut yourself. Paul's a little... in the, you, You've read Galatians, you know, he's called them idiots earlier in the book. Oh, you stupid Galatians. Who has bewitched you? This is, this is so non-Christian, and that we kind of find occasionally... I've been in Christian circles for many, many years. And... Uh, um, and maybe you have done some reading and Christian biographies, and every once in a while you become aware 
of some guy walking six inches off the ground. You know, that, wow, what a saint. What a, what a relief. What a, what a, you, whether it's George Mueller or R.C. Chapman or, or somebody that you go, man, it's, you know, for all of the calamity out there in the church, it's great to see someone holy. You know, all of us are supposed to be that way. And all of us have been given the path to be that way. And those guys weren't doing anything unusual. They were just doing something very much a stumbling block to those of us who like religion. That's the stumbling block of the cross. Is that by faith, oh, we love to protect it there, right? Sola fide, right? Faith alone. We like to protect that against the Catholics or the Orthodox or whatever it is. Your, your, you know, whatever group is, you know, religious or, or granting grace to performance in church. We're strict about that. You need to remember how strict you are about that. This, this is the stumbling block of the cross. That God, in His Spirit, by faith, through love, is going to make you holy. Now, here's the problem with, with freedom preached across the board. You know, and this is why pastors get a little nervous about doing it. One, they don't understand it, but then they, they know that if I convey to you, there are no rules. Is it Outback Steakhouse? No rules? Just right. Well, we get that no rules, we don't end up just right. And that's what we fear when we say no rules, is that people won't be just right. They'll be all sorts of bad. It's like, why don't you send your youth group up to a cabin in the woods with a 12-pack, boys and girls, and no adults? And don't even mention to them anything you might be concerned about. Because we don't have any rules here, right? Let's just let them be free to live their Christian lives. And you say, I know some of those kids. I raised some of those kids. No way in Hades we're going to allow that to happen. Because we know we take away the rules. That's why it says, how could you be saying this, Evan? Well, because St. Paul said it. And I know it's a stumbling block to those who think righteousness is only through the law. He wants you to mutilate yourself. So there's that. For if you were called, for you were called to freedom. You, see, you sense that there's a theme here? For freedom Christ has set us free. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Not Remember, he's, a, he's not leading with, you were called to righteousness. It's important that you recognize you were called to freedom. Because it seems that Paul believes that freedom is the path to righteousness. It's not the replacement for righteousness. It's not just cool that all the Christians are some, some sort of hippies that can do whatever they want in their communes. Now, we are called to freedom, brethren, only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. 
Ah, okay. So I know what you're saying, Evan. I know that I'm not allowed to use the law, but if I take away the law, heavens to Betsy. It's not just my kids that are going to misbehave. You're sitting around with some friends in a bar. Pastor's there. And he says, you know, guys, God has no standards at all for this. No obligations. No, no rules. Order as much as you want. Much as you want. He said, we're all going to be in trouble. We're not going to be doing the righteous thing. So the removal of the law, it just sounds like craziness to people. Paul then says, freedom replaces it. Not the opposite. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision, because neither of those are of any avail. It's not you not doing the thing or doing the thing. It's whether or not you're free. Because if you remove the law, you don't make you free. That, does, that just means you're a slave to your passions, a slave to your urges. You don't use your freedom, since you're called to freedom, this is not an opportunity for the flesh to run amok, and that's exactly what you think is going to happen. When they have a power outage in New York City, how many TVs are relocated? A lot. Because as soon as people say there is no law, without police action, quoting Evan Wilson, I get to have that, even though it doesn't belong to me. I get to steal something, because there is no law. And that's exactly how we think. Christianity is a stumbling block, and it may be your mind still has to get over it. Your mind has to get a grip of this, otherwise the righteousness that Christ wants of you isn't yours to be had. You can't have it by the rules because you get severed from Christ if you use them. He's of no advantage. You're cut off. You've fallen away from grace. But hold it. It's not going to have any opportunity in me because love is going to make me servants of one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is the opposite. It's not, do not gratify the desires of the flesh, but keep the rules. It is, do not gratify the desires of the flesh, but walk by the Spirit. So, even though you might not know what that phrase means, you know it's your responsibility in dealing with sin. Because you're not supposed to sin. When you sin, you've got to confess it. This is not some sort of uber grace sermon that no matter what you do, you're not in trouble. You're in trouble. Jesus Christ will take your joy from you. That great passage that uh, Tristan read, Psalm 51, the confession, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. You know it's still wrong. We're just finding out that this phrase, walk by the Spirit, is not the same as keep the rules. Even keeping the rules in kind of a spiritual way. No. 
I am supposed to love my neighbor and my love for my neighbor fulfills the law. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So all that has to be created to be by the Spirit is love. If I'm going to walk by the Spirit, that has to be the kind of Spirit that creates love in me. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you would. If you have the Spirit, it exists in you in opposition to what your flesh would tell you. But you notice that the spirit in you is a desire. And the spirit in you is not the law. Because he's saying, don't do it that way. Do it this way. This is the, how the Christian lives. Have your earthly urges. You're poured into a sack of desire. That's what God made human beings to be. We want... Uh, to know who we are as selves, we have pride of life, we have desires of the flesh, we have desires of the eyes. That's just the way we're made. And the question is, how do I stop those desires from making me sin? Because we are tempted when we're lured and enticed by our own desires. You know the drill. And you think that if I don't have this hurdle that makes it hard for me to get over, if I don't get all pharisaical about it that says, okay, not this far, and if I do this, if I don't do that, if I'm allowed to have anything over 3.2 alcohol content, so you make a rule. We're not designed that way. That's human. That in itself is fleshly, according to Paul. But, verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I don't know if you could go through this passage and get anything else out of it. Try, go take it home, and go, I don't think heaven is right about this. That's fine. You know, I'm, I'm a, I don't have a big church. It's not, I'm, I'm not notable. Uh, question is, am I right? Is Paul saying this? Do you need to believe this to consider your views Christian? Otherwise, you're some sort of, even though most everybody might agree with you, and most Christians would, that keeping the law is the obligation of the Christian for righteousness' sake. You're going, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. Who told you this nonsense? You're not under the law if you're led by the Spirit. Now the works of the flesh are plain. Now, perk up your ears, because a good list here. And you're not going to be guilty of all of them. You're probably not guilty of sorcery or idolatry. You may be, I don't know. But let's just grant you some privileges here. But it's a plural works. So it, it doesn't mean it's all one piece. Fornication, you know, doing the nasty with someone you are not supposed to do it with. Unmarried. Impurity. That is sexual immorality of a broad general term. Licentiousness, that means generally more naughty bits. So three sexual, uh, don't be that way. This is the works of the flesh. Um, idolatry, that's bowing down to other gods. 
uh, uh, sorcery that's with doing magic. Not magic tricks, magic. Enmity, that's difficult, being a difficult person. Being a someone who's always at odds. Well, like strife is the next one. There's, there's almost poetry in this. Enmity, strife, jealousy, anger. You know those kinds of people. You've met the, seen some of them on TV recently. Just losing it, screaming at somebody. Selfishness, dissension, party spirit. That's not going to parties. That means being important at which faction you belong to. You know, Republican, Democrat, Calvinist, Arminian. Envy, drunkenness, college town, carousing, mm, John's Alley, and the like. I've been to John's Alley. It's not because I preach against it, I can't go there. My daughter sang there a few weeks back. People carouse there. That's a good word. That's that famous word. They are surprised that you do not join them in their same wild profligacy. Oh, but the profligate, they go to John's Alley and many other bars. And it's not because if you go to a bar, you must be profligate. I was there, I was not. But people do. And the like. In case you missed something, it's like Article 133 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, I think. Is anything not covered in the previous 133 articles? Is hereby covered in this one. The like. Don't be bad. And so what do we think? Oh, I, if fornication is wrong, I better tell the youth group that they can't do that. You may not have sexual immorality with somebody you are dating in high school. I'm sorry. Fornication. We have rules. Don't do sex outside of marriage. You say, Evan, this is a Christian church. What are you going to do? Don't tell. The kids could hear. You're about to say that's not a rule. Don't do it, Evan. It's not telling you. It's just telling, it's telling you what's bad. When you make a rule, you're telling me how I get to the good. We know it's bad. I can easily tell somebody, yeah, fornication, God really does not like that. Those who have done such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's what he says. And I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He has just told you that the law is not the path to this. He has just told you that. He told you the spirit is the path to righteousness and neither is not doing the thing. It's not fornication and not somebody who's created a world in which all the kids are pure. That's not righteousness. Circumcision and uncircumcision are not the issue. God does not want you to fornicate, and he wants you to be pure, but he doesn't want you to get to that purity by not fornicating. Having a stiff enough uh, barrier that can't be gotten over. Because he says, walk by the Spirit. Then says, but the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is not having fornication, not being impure. Hold it. That's not what he says. 
The fruit of the Spirit is not not being fornicating, not being impure, not being angry, not being selfish. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. Because remember, freedom has to interpose itself someplace between you and pleasing God. You've got, you, you don't say, God, you, you, you can move on a little bit. I'm going to take care of some of these things by being not that. The Holy Spirit is going to make me not an angry person. You get some really repressed individuals who are just, I'm not being angry. <laughs> Taking cold showers, whatever it is. Like, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not going to be doing that. No, it's Jesus Christ in this Holy Spirit is trying to make you loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. That's what the Spirit is doing in you. And if you are that person, that's the freedom. You are standing, I'm not under the law, I'm under the Spirit of the freedom of Christ to be loving. And will I fornicate? Well, certainly not. Heavens to Betsy, no. But I'm no longer a person who's trying to fight my natural desire that I have with a rule that is not naturally mine, but something imposed upon me, that I'm always trying to get around, always trying to stumble and ask for forgiveness. I don't want to be turned into a Christian who loves their God, who walks in the Spirit and gets up in the morning before coffee knowing their Lord Jesus Christ, knowing the love of God, knowing the kindness of God, knowing the joy of God. Do you know that in the morning? You only feel it after a few, few hymns. What, what, what does it take? What is the path to this? Because those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are still victorious over the sin. This is really the only righteous way to be victorious over sin, is to be free and changed. Rather than really want to do the bad thing and only have a rule between me and it. It says, if we live by the Spirit, the last verse, let us also walk by the Spirit. Now, I want to wrap this up with another passage out of uh, Galatians. The reason we don't know what we're doing for a number of things. One is you're conceited. And you get more results for your conceit if the law is the path you're going to take. Because what is being in the spirit? Galatians chapter 3. This book we just skipped right to chapter 5. Chapter 3, verse 2. Let me ask you only this. This is he's chewing them out. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When you got saved, was it because you read the Ten Commandments and took them very seriously, pulled up your shorts, clasped your pudgy little fingers together and said, I'm going to do this thing. Because God will be pleased if I do this thing. Or did you hear with faith? Oh, you say, I know the answer to that because I had catechism. Uh, it's the hearing with faith, right? I know what the right answer is here. I've told you this before. My dad asked a bunch of Lutherans at Concordia Lutheran College, Lutheran students raised in Lutheran church, gone to Lutheran schools. What did you have to, 
do to be saved? And they said, of course, and they gave the right biblical Pauline response. You were saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? Then he said, if you died right now, where would you go? And they said, I don't know. I don't know how good I have to be to get to heaven. Because people are idiots. We have to stop and go, what does it take to walk by the Spirit? Because you know full well, because you've been listening, right? You've been listening that, I hope you've been listening, that we also walk by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. Let us, this is the last verse. If we live by the Spirit, we came to life in Christ by the Spirit. Let us walk by the Spirit. Let us do the same thing in our path of righteousness. So what is it? It is not the conceit of you building a religious life. It is you hearing the faith. Are you so foolish? Verse 3. Having begun with the spirit, you're now ending with the flesh. He is calling law-keeping the flesh. The spirit is not the law. The spirit is not sin. The spirit is freedom. Because the spirit brings. If I walk in it, I'll have freedom from these, the, the desires of the flesh. Did you experience so many things in vain, if it really is in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, does he do it by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are the things that are great and glorious in your life, do they come to you by some sort of sacrificial performance that you do for church? you do to keep your standing in the Christian community or because you have knelt before the word of God hearing, believing because that's where the conceit comes in you don't think you need to some of you don't read your Bibles some of you don't stand before the Lord waiting to hear him it says in Ecclesiastes it's better to draw near to listen than offer the sacrifice of fools we can fill up religion with a lot of noise do you stand before God humbly listening for what he has to say? You say, no, 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 but does he talk to you? Yeah, but not, not really, but he did leave a few notes. How well have you heard? Are you so proud that you will not even stop to read the book that the Almighty God communicated his path and wisdom to you in? Do you hear with faith? Believing it. What does it say faith is? The conviction of things hoped for. The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Do I sit before the word of God and go, that's what it says, that's what I believe. That's from God, that's what I want to know. I hear with faith. Because that's the path. That's how we got the spirit into our lives as Christians. We heard with faith. We believed it. We fell to our knees. We did we called on the name of the Lord. We humbled ourselves. That's how we live our Christian lives in faith. We start listening to God. Now, I'll be perfectly honest. You will, you will hear, and maybe even you felt some disagreement. You may have some valid disagreements. Not a problem. This is the Christian way. I'm sorry. If you don't if you don't like that, if you don't think that, or you have doubts about hearing with faith, or you don't have that level of, well, I'm sorry, it's still the way. It doesn't, the way does not change because you're having a hard time with it. So, 
Let's do this. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Your Son, His work, Your Holy Spirit, if we would humble ourselves and hear with faith, we'd ask that Your Spirit would be building those things in us that make us the righteous people You desire. That we want the desires of your spirit. Guide us in your son's name. Amen.